Hello and welcome to a special presentation from In The Money Media. This is our show for Cigar Mile Day, talking about the pick six out at Aqueduct. Used to be the last grade one of the year in New York. We've lost that designation, but it still uh, marks the end of the season to me in many ways. And I'm very happy to be diving in and playing these races and getting a chance to talk about them with two of my favorite people. Let's talk about racing anywhere, but particularly when it comes to New York. First, we'll bring him in, a man whose uh, achievements I will not get into listing because it would take the rest of the show. Let's just say he's a legendary horse player and author. He's Stephen Christ. Steve, how are you? Hey, I'm good, Pete. And then we bring in the more familiar guy who was just on with me talking about these Gulfstream all-turf pick three races. Now we get him back to his bread and butter. I assume you'll also be able to see him this weekend on the America's Day at the races feed, probably in the same uh, technology setup, I'm guessing. He's Jonathan Kinchin. JK, am I right? Are you doing you doing the shows from there this weekend? Yeah, I'm doing them from here, but the problem is, is my wife and my son – they like to try to kick me out to like a, a like even though this is a good background. They're yeah, gonna try cool to put no. They're gonna try to get me out of here so that I don't affect their lives, which is seems very <laughs> selfish of them. <laughs> I suggest you put a book by uh, Pete Fornatale and a book by Steve Christ on on the mantle behind you, and then you'll have the perfect backdrop for national television. Well, two of my favorite books: Exotic Betting and then uh, uh, Betting with an Edge. There you go. We'll take it. We'll take it. Uh, let's talk about the sequence in general first. Steve, is this one that you're particularly excited about or one that you're more likely to be playing just because it has these big stakes races and its position on the calendar? Well, I, I think it's an interesting sequence because, uh, uh, I mean, may, maybe you guys have a clearer picture of, of the cigar mile than I do, but I just want to get alive to a bunch of horses in that last leg. Uh, I, I think it's a, I mean, it's a, a great race to handicap and play, but I found it extremely difficult. JK, how about you? Are you excited to sink your teeth into this one? Absolutely. And when we jump into the first race, I'll elaborate this on this a little bit more. You know, this is more of a game selection game for me. I mean, I know we're talking pick six here. Uh, based on my opinions of the first leg, I'm more of a pick five player, I think, today. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it, look, it's all the money going into the pool, so no one's going to be upset about that. I just I don't have a strong opinion in the first leg, which is going to require me to use a lot of horses. And I think often when you feel that way, you have to then tailor what wager you're going to be playing. So for me, I'm going to be more of a pick five guy just because, and I'll explain, uh, I think the first leg is pretty wide open. Well, let's just go right there. It is race number five where we'll begin 148 Eastern, the schedule post time for this starter allowance going a mile. You've already tipped your hand, JK, that it's a spread race for you. How many numbers would you need to feel confident in? You know, look, I, I don't want to be an all-button guy, right? But the David Jacobson entry, I think you, you, you probably have to use. They're right there off of numbers, both of them. Uh, I think that uh, the, the four, uh, St. James Palace, ran pretty well last time after breaking a step slow right there from a figure standpoint. Uh, mandatory, has back numbers, comes in off of a layoff, though. So you, you don't know which mandatory you're going to get. Brooklyn Diamonds at a short price who got a huge setup last time with a fast pace in front. That's not a horse that I can lean on at a short price. Uh, Cloud Forest can win. American Law can win. Uh, Vodka Mardini wouldn't be the, the biggest shock to me. I mean, my advice to you in this race is to use as many as you possibly can. Or like I said, like the way that I'm personally going to play it is I'm, I'm not going to play the pick six, and I'll just spend all of my time in the pick five where I do feel like I have a little bit more opinion. 
sometimes in a situation like this, especially when you have an entry that's going to take money that I don't necessarily love, I will just get really tight and play a number or two full with the knowledge that I can always come back and play the pick five. And, and to me, it was honestly two fairly obvious horses. I thought were going to get good trips, including Brooklyn diamonds. who you mentioned JK, just because I thought the pace would set up for, for a late run again from this Linda rice runner and American law was another one. I thought might just get the perfect stalk and pounce kind of a run in here, but very curious to bring in Steve to, to get his thoughts on this one. Is, is this a race you can narrow down a bit more than, than JK? Uh, yes and no. And I, I think he made a great point. Uh, you know, if you're, you're choosing between the pick six and the pick five, if you feel that this is a race where you need to go five deep, you know, combine that with the fact that the pick six base bet is twice as much. You're really looking at a 10 times, you know, a 10 X investment on the pick six versus the pick five. Now, you know, if you want to play the pick six anyway, or you've got some good ideas later, great. But, uh, you know, I agree about this first leg. The, the reason that I'm leaning toward the pick six rather than the pick five is, is that I'm looking to beat a couple of short horses in this first leg. I'm not a big Brooklyn Diamonds fan. Uh, I mean, the horses he has been running against, I, I think, are just a, a big cut below these. And I, I think there are three or four horses in here you know, whose best races drown what Brooklyn Diamonds has been doing lately. Uh, you know, I'm going to use mandatory very strongly, American law, and, and then a few other C's. Uh, I don't like the Jacobson entry at all. By the way, Kingdom, I think, is running today. Uh, so you're, you're only going to have half of that entry in tomorrow. They can't okay. beat the Rock is running there. Interesting. In terms of those deeper backups, Steve, which ones would you think of throwing in? Oh, I, I mean, you know, I can use St. James. Uh, you know, the problem is you've got 10 betting interests here and seven of them, you know, are capable of running a, a number in the low to mid 80s. So it's, you know, there's not much differentiation. Uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm going to lean a little bit on mandatory and American law, uh, but then have a bunch of C's. Gotcha. Let's talk about race number six which is an allowance race going seven furlongs on the dirt field of 10 going forward here. Steve, we'll keep it with you. Well, I, I think this race, you know, absolutely goes through the, the Todd Pletcher returnee uh, who, whose name is eluding me at the moment. Uh, Overstep. Overstep. Uh, you know, this is a looked like very much like a, a stakes horse. Uh, Todd is very, you know, he's a half length away from being undefeated. Uh, and Todd is terrific at, at these kind of, you know, coming back from long layoffs. Uh, I think if he's still the horse that, that he was, you know, eight months ago, uh, he's going to be extremely hard to beat. He, he's a single A in this race for me. Any backups you want to name check, or is it really all about three as far as your, your proper opinion goes? Uh, my, my backups would be Ocean's Reserve, Rocco Strong, and and... Oh, actually, I thought there was an, an interesting 20, 30 to 1 horse in here. Uh, and that's the 10, Looney Sima. Uh, he's 20 to 1 on the line. But you go through his form. He, you know, he occasionally throws in a big one that's every bit as good uh, as the favorites in this race. Making his third start off a layoff. The comeback race was fine. Last time was a sloppy track. He didn't handle it all. So, you know, if you can draw lines through those two races... 
I, I think he's a little bit of an interesting creative horse, and he's going to be a gigantic price. Yeah, I've, I've actually, I've always had a little bit of affection for Looney Seaman, that ability to turn up once in a while with a, with a winning race at a, at a number. Third race is a gelding as well, if you want it to go in that direction. But I think that almost all of my play will go through overstep. I feel like in addition to all those points, just looks like one who might be able to boss things from the front end here and just get the best trip and do his thing. Though I, I definitely... and on Steve say so as much as anything else we'll be throwing in a little bit of Looney Sema as well JK are you with overstep or against yeah no single a for me I mean I think if you look at all four of his races there's been adversity that he's overcome in every race you know the debut obviously it's a debut you got to overcome some adversity there your first time on the racetrack he was very impressive that day then he came back in the sleepy hollow uh and, and I thought showed some courage uh to to kind of run uh through in between horses and then the last two, I thought he's been involved in some honest paces and, and, and it was able to kind of stick around. I just think he's better than these horses. I think that because he's a New York bred, they're taking their time and kind of going through the conditions rather than jumping up into a, into a stake spot. I feel like it's a, I feel like this is a stake horse and, and uh, I'll be ice cold here to this uh, half brother to Arctic arrogance. who was another nice uh, horse that we saw here in New York. So first you said lone A, then you said ice cold. And no, 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 oh, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, ice cold A, which okay. could also be interpreted as lone A, but I also understand that lone A could be meaning I'm not using two A's. So I mean I ice cold A as in I won't be using B's or C's. Okay, there you go. Let's move on to the stakes portion of the card where we've got the two-year-old Phillies in the grade two Damoiselle. Field of nine going postward. I'm pretty boring here, so I'll just go ahead and, and chime in that I thought that the, the favorite, Life Talk, the three-runner, was going to take a lot of beating based on what we've seen from her on the racetrack. JK, will, will she be one you're looking to press up or, or perhaps one you'll be looking to spin in this spot? Well, I think the, the, the very important thing to remember about this race and as well as the Remsen is that it's, it's so much less about who's the best and fastest horse and who wants to go the mile and an eighth at this point of their career. Um and with Dolomite, not very fast, has not been overly impressive outside of the fact that they won by six last time with a slow number. But the fact that the way that Chad's horses run, they, to me, in the way they're trained, have more ability to go a mile and an eighth at this age because they're taught to be on the bridle all the time and, 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 I, and they, they respond to their riders. So Dolomite is one that, although looks too slow, could jump up. I'll use Dolomite. I'll use Life Talk because I think you have to use Life Talk because she is the fastest. It is Todd Pletcher. It is two turns on the dirt. Who does that better than Todd? And then I'll also use the seven Shimmering Allure who, who's got some experience. So you'd like to think that the nine furlongs won't be a problem. And then the outside horse Caldwell loves gold. Brad Cox, conversely, you know, opposite of Brad uh, of, of Chad, I think that his horses can sometimes get the nine furlongs a little bit or, earlier because they're trained so hard and so fast that they're that the bottom is literally uh, to the ground of these horses. And, and I think sometimes that can kind of jump up and help as well. This is a spread race for me. I think live talk, uh, life talk is going to be over bet and I'm hoping uh, to, to beat her. Although I need to keep her in play here because I do think she has a, a legit chance to win. Two, three, seven, nine. Does that sound like it's good. opinion yep. here? Steve, how about you? Where, where do you stand on Life Talk? First of all, JK and I, a little oppo uh, with how seriously we're taking her chances. I, I'm surprised she's the shortest price in this entire pick six sequence. I, I mean, on morning line, she's eight to five in here. And, you know, everyone gets excited when they see somebody run decently in a Breeders' Cup race. 
But I, I don't think she's any better than Shimmering Allure, uh, who I thought was very visually impressive last time. I mean, yeah, she got a good setup, but you know what? She's going to get another good setup in here. There's plenty of speed. Uh, a lot of horses who are questionable going this far. Uh, so, you know, I, as Jonathan said, I'm not throwing out life talk. I'm not taking a big position. Uh, but she's only going to be one of three or four that I use in here. And I'll, I'll probably be kind of rooting against her. Uh, I thought that Vino Rouge ran very well last time against Shimmering Allure. Close to the pace. Stayed right there. Uh, you know, was second best that day. But is putting blinkers on. Uh, and I think is, you're going to get every bit of that eight to one. Uh, and, and again, I, I don't see Life Talk as being vastly superior to worse like like Vino Rouge. Uh, and I'll probably even use a a little bit, you know, as C's of Ringy Dingy and Caldwell Loves Gold. Uh, Caldwell Loves Gold, uh, you know, I think that she's probably going to end up being a closing sprinter. Uh, really more of a six, seven furlong horse than stretching out. I didn't think she had any excuse last time at, at two to five. Uh, and it looked to me like she just didn't want to go a mile. So what, why is she going to go a mile and an eighth? Vino Rouge is definitely worth pausing on. Has the, the classic uh, Andy, I associate it with it with Andy Byer, the, the move into the hot pace uh, trip handicapping angle that, that maybe the difference between her and Shimmering Allure isn't as much as those three furlongs. And just looking at bloodlines, Vino Rouge does seem like one for whom the, the mile and an eighth could be, could be acceptable. I'll take this opportunity to go on a tangent, Steve, and ask you about the panel you're going to be on out in, in Tucson. Uh, have you guys done much prep work about the kinds of stories you're going to be telling, or are you just going to be going up there and, uh, and winging it? It's definitely one of the ones I circled looking through the catalog is the most interesting things to, to, to hear on the course of the three days. Uh, I've done no prep whatsoever. I just plan on winging it and telling stories. Uh, you know, this is a, a panel. It's me, Andy Byer and Jay Privman. And, uh, you know, we're not going to get up and make formal presentations about Heiser or anything. Uh, we're just going to take questions uh, from Charlie Hayward, who's moderating it, and from the audience. And, uh, uh, you know, I've found over the years that the Q&A is always the best part of these things. So, uh, you know, just going to sit back. Uh, that, that doesn't mean we won't, you know, nice thing about being retired, to say whatever you want. Uh, you really don't care. Um, so, you know, if someone wants to talk about the triple crown or synthetic tracks or, or anything. Uh, I'm not pulling any punches. I, I've gotten nervous about public speaking once in my adult life. And it was before the Tucson conference last year. And Steve, I think it has to do with exactly what you said of when you are an industry supported organization, like in the money, but I was there in fully the context of being a horse player and, it, that was what made me nervous. It was like, I can't worry about the fact that half these people are my clients. I got to talk like a horse player and, and, you know, do my best to to tell it like it is. And, and it, uh, it, it was stressful. I think it worked out okay, but it, uh, it, it is great to hear. And I'll keep that in mind maybe for a question or two. I'll look to, to ask you as an audience member coming out of that panel. JK, do you wish you were going to the symposium now? Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, like I had fun when I went, I've, I've been once, um, they said they were going to pay for my flight and they never did. So, um, that, that's, not, that's interesting. Um, but no, no one holds a grudge like JK. <laughs> yeah. Seven emails later. Um, but no, I mean, no, it's, it's a fun event. I, I, you know, I've always got a lot of met a lot of nice people there and, and heard a lot of great topics and it's, 
it's always good. I think places like that where, where industry folks can kind of come together and be in one place at one time, have conversations, listen to presentations, but more importantly, the conversation part, right? Which I think is kind of missing in our game where a lot of people have their positions, but they argue in a hundred and some odd characters on Twitter. I think maybe sometimes sitting down with an adult beverage and looking each other in the eye is a much more productive way to kind of have some of the conversations that need to be had. It's funny you mentioned that because there's people out there who I had only known from Twitter and had formed sort of negative opinions of who I was able to meet there and have conversations with and have become people whose opinions I respect on things. So I think that's very much true that even in the, you know, the modern world where we, it's wonderful that we can, you know, connect like this in a video call and see each other's faces or whatever. But what we used to mean when we talked about FaceTime still means something. And it's cool that you get to have that out at the RTIP symposium. Tangent over, let's talk about the Gopher Wand. Race number eight, Phillies and Mares going a mile on the dirt. I want to start the conversation, JK, with Gerrymander, who I I kept going back and forth between thinking was a serious contender in the race and thinking was the most dressed up horse of all time coming out of the, the two-runner race at, uh, at Belmont at Aqueduct. I ended up deciding I was going to oppose her in this spot. Who do you think is going to win the Gopher Wand? Yeah, I'm going to let her beat me. It, it, you know, look, prior to her winning by 25 lengths on a match race, uh, the, a match race she was supposed to win, um, you know, she, it, she's she been beat seven times. Sometimes it's short prices facing significantly lesser uh, with situations that were supposed to fall right into her lap and she didn't take advantage of it. I think, you know, with the 25 length win last time, uh, the fact that uh, she's a Klarovich-owned, Chad Brown-trained, Jose Ortiz-ridden, horse that was uh, you know a buzz horse as a three-year-old in the alabama i'm gonna try to beat her here i think tizzy in the sky the five that's the horse i want if i'm gonna look for a horse with some speed and if i'm gonna look for a chad brown give me good sam towards the outside i'll use the five and the seven as a horses and i will not use the six gerrymander as a b i don't want to waste the equity if she beats me based on what i feel about this sequence i'm probably going to be mad that i hit it anyways so uh, i'm going to try to keep the equity uh, with the five and the seven only I thought the two Dr. B was the other one I wanted to include it with, with, with your two, JK. What did you have against the, the this five-year-old mayor? You know, a, a lot of times it's not really an against thing. It's just more of a, uh, you know, preferring the others. But but Dr. B hasn't won in a while either. Um, and that was a situation where I thought was bias-aided when, when she did win. So uh, just an opportunity to try to beat a horse. I think I'll probably take a little bit of money. Yeah, I, I, I hear where you're going with that. Steve, what about you? Who wins the Gopher Wand? Uh, well, it's going to be one of the three bottom horses, Tizzy in the Sky, Gerrymander, or Good Sam. And I lean the same way that J.K. does. Uh, for me, it's A, 5, 7, B, 6, the rest nowhere. All right, there you go. Very succinct. And let me just, I will just not challenge you, but ask you why you're a little bit more sympathetic to gerrymander than, than either of us are. You think there's a chance she could uh, dominate from a pace point of view, or is she maybe better than JK and I are giving her credit for in terms of her recent running lines? Well, you, you know, she's still got a, a couple of races that are, are very, very good. And I think it's possible uh, that she is finally uh, coming back to form. I mean, she's on a nice upward trajectory, improving race to race, you know, as if she were on the verge of running back to her mother goose. And then, you know, the, the silly match race, she was hardly persevered with while winning by 25 lengths. Um, so I think if she can, you know, launch off that good second to nostalgia two back and improve off that, uh, she's okay. And 
I, I was surprised that she's as short as two to one on the line. I, I thought she was going to be the third choice. Uh, Tizzy in the sky has really gotten good. I mean, I have the race two back even a little better than Bayer does. It is the 91. I have it more like a 95. And, you know, she was terrific last time against Interstate Daydream, who who would be favored in this race. Yeah. I, I think it may be a rare case, and not we don't knock morning lines around here. And and David Aragona obviously uh, is as good as anybody out of, but but I'm tempted to say that that might be a little skinny on gerrymander. Though who knows? He's he's so good. Maybe he picked up on some other buzz that of why the public is going to gravitate there a little bit more than we did. Next up is the Remsen Grade Two action for the two year olds. Once again, going the mile and eighth. A lot of horses that were very prominent in the recently concluded Kentucky Derby future pool. JK, who do you like in here? Yeah, I'm going to single A, single B here. Uh, I'm going to single A, the three door knock. You know, look, I mean, he's, he's, he's shown a lot of talent. His race at Keeneland was outstanding, got a fast number that day. And when it comes to like what I talked about earlier, a horse that you think wants to go the mile in an eighth, how about a, a horse that's a full to a Kentucky Derby winner? That works enough for me. Um, I, I just I just think that this is the best horse in this group and the horse that I know definitely wants to go this far. I'll use the two domestic product as my B horse, who I thought ran well last time, got a nice figure going nine furlongs. And we've talked about how I feel about Chad Brown with these types of horses, these young horses. They're trained to respond to their rider. So when they need to shut them off, they typically will shut off unless uh, they're a Lope de Vega named newspaper of record. <laughs> What about Sierra Leone? Speaking of Chad Brown runners, and you're a little surprised that that one didn't end up in your reckoning. Definitely uh, had some buzz ahead of that debut and, and caught a reasonable amount of money in the in the Derby future pool, given the resume. I, I, I thought there might be some stories around about this one. And you usually are the kind of guy who hears those stories. Yeah, I mean, I, I, sure. Yeah, I wouldn't be shocked if the horse wins. And I'm not playing musical jockeys with Manny, but Manny going – uh, with the other one, I, I think it's at least a little bit of a lean. But at the same time, I also don't think it would be very smart for Manny to take off a Klarovich horse, considering that his run that he's on right now has to be partly responsible to Klarovich allowing him to ride Chad's horses in the in, in the in the in the winter and, and things like that, even in the summer as well. So, but I, I just I just from a number standpoint, from going nine furlongs last time, I just felt like the other Chad uh, made a lot of sense. And like I said, I think Doorknock's going to win. So if I'm going to use another horse, let me use one that uses that presents a little bit of value. I was willing to. I don't disagree with the, your your enthusiasm for Dornock. The horse makes plenty of sense. I was worried a little bit about maybe being a bit overbet in a race that I think I see as a little bit more open than you, J.K. And I do think domestic product is very very interesting as a as a horse who I think is going to trip out beautifully in here. The other runner I was kind of interested in was uh, was number five, Drumroll Please, who you didn't mention, who I thought looked good winning the maiden and just sort of shapes like one who will appreciate the, the added ground and obviously is in great hands with Cox and Castellano. I was going to reach for horses I thought might be six, eight, ten to one and, and, and try to build here and maybe find a way to save with Doorknock and other in other pools. Steve, got to bring you in here. Well, to get Pete, real quick, I want to I want to let me let me kind of bring Steve because I want to ask him a question. Yeah, do it. You know, I'm a huge, you know, obviously I talked about the book Exotic Betting earlier. Uh, the phrase overbet to me, I just want to get your take on this idea. The, the phrase overbet to me is so much less important to me and almost, almost unimpactful to me if I'm singling a horse in a pick six or pick five. Like I feel like the fact that I'm singling a horse 
in a sequence of that nature that the overbetness of the horse really, really kind of dissipates. I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, it, you know, when you're playing a pick six, it's it's a binary thing. It's a yes or no, you're singling a horse. You know, the fact that he's, you know, if he goes off at three to five and you think even money is more of a fair price, I mean, so what? It's completely meaningless. You just got to get through the race and, and get your horse home. So, no, I, I have no problem singling a horse who's going to be an underlay. Uh, as I say, I'm just trying to get him to win the race. I don't really care what his win pool value is. It's different pools for one thing, but I think your larger point is correct. And Steve, I've heard you refer to these multi-legged exotics before as almost a form of a, of a tournament and the ability to, to build equity throughout that tournament or, you know, because you're, you're, you're theoretically an underlay in one pool doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be in, uh, in, in the pick six. I, I think we've just made some, some, uh, some of the EV police's heads explode, JK, but I, 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 I'm not sure that's entirely a bad thing. Now the key question for you, Steve, who wins the Remsen? Uh, I don't know, but I mean, I'm interested in a couple of horses that you guys haven't mentioned. Uh, obviously you have to use doorknock. Although I will point out that the second and third finishers and that, you know, big race he ran at Keeneland have returned to fall off by five or six points. So, you know, I'm, I'm not sure that that 90 figure uh, is necessarily going to hold up. Uh, and he did lose his first two starts. But, yes, he, he's one of the horses who can win. I thought Moonlight uh, was every bit as interesting uh, as Doorknock in here. Uh, I mean, I thought his uh, off-the-turf maiden breaker – that, that came up as fast a race as door knocks. And, you know, last time was in the slop. He didn't look at, at all comfortable in that race on the wet track. Uh, if, I think if Moonlight runs back to his maiden victory, he's right there. And I also thought that Todd's horse on the bottom, Private Desire, uh, another with a, a very big figure maiden breaking. And then last time out in the Nashua, uh, he was off slow. He was at the back of the field, and it was a race that was completely dominated on the front end with Where's Chris being very game, uh, but nobody, you know, cut in to the big margins in that race. So, you know, for me, it's going to be something like, uh, you know, A, 3, 4, 10. Uh, Sierra Leone is very intriguing, but, you know, to go up from a maiden win that wasn't particularly fast, it was visually impressive, but boy, then in your second start to stretch to a mile and an eighth in the, in the Rams. And I just think, you know, he may be fine by March, but this might be a little early for a graded stakes for him. I think you brought up the key point, and that probably is the reason why there was buzz around this horse. Really did look very professional for a first-time starter. But, uh, you know, this is the kind of thing we've talked about so much over the years. When those races don't come back fast, you know, I might still make a note, like this is a cool, classy horse, maybe has some intangible, softer kind of skills, but that doesn't make slower horses win races um, their next start out. So I, I, share that, uh, I share that skepticism for the, for the same reason. Let's get to the race that gives the day its name. It's the grade two, Cigar Mile. It's a big field of 12 here. And while we don't have much in the way of proven grade one form, I do think we have a super competitive race. Steve Crest, who's your idea of the winner? Well, I, I'm, I'm going to cop out here and <laughs> default uh, to the 49er. Um, you know, if you only let me use two horses in this race, I think they would be ever so mischievous. And Dr. Ardito, 
Uh, they're, they're both solid. They both figure to get decent trips. Um, <coughs> there's very, very little separation figure-wise. You know, I mean, just about every horse in this race routinely runs between 95 and 100. So, you know, it, it's not like there are four horses who just don't belong in the race. That makes things tricky. I, I, I hear you, and I and I think there certainly have to be among the logicals. We'll probably come back to you, Steve, for an exa for an examination of some of the longer shots. I want to chime in about three <coughs> technique. I'm very interested in three technique in this spot. I think might be due to run a lot better third start of the layoff, going this mile, the kind of trip I'm assuming that he's going to get in here where there is plenty of speed signed on, and I think you really do have a chance to get all of that eight to one on the morning line. Very, very interested in him. The other horse I'm super interested in here, you know, I talked about this as a, as a, a race that doesn't have a lot of uh, a proven grade one form. A creative is a horse. I've always thought hinted at being capable of grade one efforts. And, and while it didn't work out last time, I think that was a question of, of uh, lack the needed punch after a wide trip. Like I just didn't think, I don't think that race was as bad as it looks, and I don't think he's as far behind ever so mischievous and Dr. Adito necessarily as that race suggests. And I think he's going to be, hopefully, we're going to get the four to one and the hype machine doesn't come too hard down on him. I was going to mess around with the seven and 10 mostly, but obviously the two and the five um, are very, very uh, likely contenders here. And I'd love to have some tickets that are alive to all four of those. JK, how about you? Um, yeah, I mean, I, look, I, I'm going to pick the two ever so mischievous on top. This is a horse I've just been following for a while. Um, obviously, our, our our relationship with with Qatar Racing, and when I had Sheikh Fahad on JK Plus One, he, he actually said he thinks this is the best horse that they have in training uh, in the entire world. And I agree. I, I think ever so mischievous is a very talented horse. He's a he's a taste light on numbers, but sometimes that can happen when you're running against straight three year olds. And I think maybe the opportunity to kind of run against uh, some some faster horses. I think could maybe suck his figure on a little bit to, to kind of help him out. Um, and I also think that if he wins this race and then goes on and wins the Malibu, uh, if people don't turn in their, their, their ballots too early, he'll, he'll get some votes for three old a year. I don't think he'll win, but he'll definitely get some votes and, and possibly be a finalist. Senor Buscador, another one that I'm going to definitely use as an a horse, you know, his, his no, running lines look a little bit kind of underwhelming uh, because he just doesn't have a lot of early speed and he comes running, but he just never really gets there, but he runs fast numbers. I think he's one of those horses, and I don't want to compare him to elite power of cutting from cutting back from seven to six, but I think he's been running at the 10 furlong, nine furlong races. I think the cutback with real pace to close into is going to have this horse rolling down the middle of the track while the rest of them might be getting a little bit tired. So I'll use those two as A horses and then B horses. I'll use the 10 and 11, the 10 accretive, the 11 hoist the gold. And then I'll use one more horse as a B horse, a sneaky one. And that's the six high oak. I don't know if it's because every time I run into Lee Einsiedler, he, he just gets me so <laughs> fired up about how well high oak is doing, but let's not forget that high oak did have a, a, a pretty nice run um, as a two year old. He's had some talent. He's shown some talent. He's older now. And, and maybe just maybe the right situation can kind of wake him up. And if he was five to one, I wouldn't bet him with your money, Pete, but he's going to be 30 to one. He'll be completely ignored. He's the type of horse that could blow up the picks. 
And I could certainly see uh, getting a getting a piece. I mean, that was my thought with Buscador was I think he's going to take a ton of money. And maybe you're right. The strongly run mile will see him to best effect. But I just I have this vision of him. I certainly wouldn't leave him out of vertical exotics. But I was having the feeling maybe we could beat him on top. Steve, you mentioned that your main interests in here are the two ever so mischief and the five Dr. Ardito. But in terms of backup lines or, or more interesting horses, as it were, who can you come up with? Yeah, I mean, the, those are the two, as I said, that, you know, if you put a gun to my head and I can only use two, but I, I'd like to have four or five A's in this race. Uh, I think Sen Senor Buscador makes a lot of sense uh, because there is a lot of sprint speed in this race and their horses, I'm not sure they really want to go a mile. And I think this race could start falling apart at the eighth pole. Uh, and he's probably the, the, you know, the strongest pure finisher. I mean, if someone's looping the field and rolling on the outside, I think it's going to him. Uh, I, I will use three techniques strongly. I agree with everything Pete said. Uh, he's also kind of a favorite of mine because I, I, I had him on Derby Day two derbies ago when he paid $76. So I'm willing to waste a little money on him every time that he runs. I, I owe him. So, you know, I, I always use him. A, a creative, I'm not entirely sold on the distance uh, with him. But he's right there, you know, with the the other two horses out of the 49er that I like. Uh, so he's strong with me. Hoist the gold, I'm going to let beat me. I think he's a 6-7 for a long horse. I, I just don't see him thriving in a mile. And, you know, Pipeline, I've been trying to make him a good horse for a long time. And I don't see how moving out of Chad's barn is, is suddenly going to resurrect his career. I, maybe he goes on a mission to try to lead him from gate to wire, but boy, it's going to be tough. I think I really like the prediction of ever, whatever happens with the speed up front, I really like the prediction of ever so mischievous being the best of that speed. And then it's a question of if the closers are going to come or not. That's how I, and, that's how I see it. If, 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 if someone would give me a, and, and you know, I'm, I'm bad at the game of math, but if someone were <laughs> to give me a, if someone were to give me a number on ever so mischievous, or mischievous uh, in the Met Mile next year. I think this horse has a chance to really kind of grow up and turn into a really damn good horse that has speed, has stamina, and has some toughness and obviously is in the right uh, trainer's hands uh, to win a race like that. Would love to see it. It's it's good to have it's good to have some of these rising uh, four year olds who who look like they could have legitimate grade one credentials. And if things work out for ever so mischievous, he could certainly be on that list. Well, gentlemen, I've kept you a little bit over time, but uh, hope you don't mind. It's always so fun to talk New York racing with you, and we always get a great response. If you're watching on YouTube, go ahead and leave us your idea of uh, who is going to win the Cigar Mile or any of these races either. It's fun to want to get a little bit more interactive going forward with the comments on there. But uh, for now, I'm just going to thank Stephen Christ and JK one more time, our founding partners at 10 Strike Racing and the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation, but most of all, want to thank all of you, the listeners and the viewers, for making these shows so much fun to do. If you want to support us, sign up for our content. Subscribe over at YouTube. Uh, get our podcast wherever you get your podcast in the money media. I'm Peter Thomas Fornital. Maybe win all your photos. <laughs>